I'm William Sitwell, restaurant critic for The Telegraph, and I'd like to welcome you to a very special edition of Biting Talk in association with Vidi Guides. Biting Talk is Britain's liveliest food and drink podcast, and we're teaming up with Vidi Guides, the providers of the world's best podcast tours for this special show. And it's all about Borough Market. Borough Market, that extraordinary, historic and bustling, iconic London landmark. There's so much to see and taste. And in the coming minutes, we'll navigate you through some of its history. And we'll also meet one of its most successful and enduring traders. That's the founder of Bread Ahead, Matthew Jones. We'll also chat to Borough Market boss, MD Darren Hennehan. Speak with the author, co-author, I should say, of the Borough Market cookbook. And we'll meet Mark Ridaway, whose edible history of Borough Market is a delicious read. But first, we meet the man running this iconic London market, Darren Hennehan. Darren, welcome to Biting Talk. Hi, William. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. It's great to have you on the show. Now, listen, it's been quite a few years for you because you joined Borough Market in October 2016. You had to deal with the terrorist attacks in 2017 and then 2020, COVID. You must be wondering what on earth you did to get this job. <laughs> uh, some might say like you've the jinx that's come to Borough Market. But yeah, it's actually two terror attacks, um, Brexit, COVID, um, various other different bits and bobs that have happened over the time period. So yeah, it's been, um, um, it's certainly been engaging is the, uh, <laughs> the kindest way I can yeah, put it. Yeah, a roller coaster of a ride. So I imagine that you must be really thinking about 2021 and how you can repair, rebuild, um, bring confidence back to the market and so on. Tell us a bit about how your traders have, have coped, because I was reading that I think you feel that quite a lot of these small businesses have sort of fallen between the cracks of government assistance. Um, how, how are the traders doing? How are they feeling at the moment? I think they're feeling absolutely exhausted, to be honest with you, William. It's been a hell of a year um, and it seems to be the year that just keeps on giving you know when we went into the the second lockdown there was just a a whole weary sigh of oh god here we go again um, it's been um, a year where there's been some huge positives um, where the amazing body of talent uh, that we have in the market is dug deep um, and have changed the way in which they worked and uh, created new ideas and tried them out and invested in them and take risks as as the different uh, changes, the different controls uh, happen. Um, and we're, we're looking forward now to seeing uh, what the next tier system does and, and, and how we adapt to that as well. So weary, um, optimistic for Christmas. Um, and Christmas is an incredibly important time of year for trade. Um, and Borough Market is the most beautiful place in the world at Christmas. It's um, got incredible Dickensian quality about it. It's just a, just absolutely amazing. But um, yeah, they're, they're, they're okay. Um, you know, my team's okay, but it's it's been difficult this year. Yes. And have you lost any of the traders over the last 12 months? We've got a few that are have sort of mothballed, um, some that are literally just doing a Saturday, because uh, Saturdays, uh, thankfully, uh, because of the, the amazing effort from the public, um, have, have been reasonably good throughout the year. Uh, so there's many that are just working Saturdays. There's a few that we've actually lost, um, uh, and we're hoping are going to come back in a in a you know in a year or so's time because we we never you, we never kind of lose contact with people. Um, but certainly businesses have, have taken a 
huge knock. And I think, as you're saying before, many of them seem to have fallen between the cracks of the government assistance uh, because they don't have a rateable value because they're temporary. Uh, they're temporary traders. Um, they don't then qualify for much of the government support. And Neil Coyle, our local MP, really took up the march for us and got some support through from from the local council. But it's it's nowhere near what they need. It really isn't. Yeah. Now. Some might be surprised at the idea that there's actually an MD of Borough Market. If you just wander around, you might think it's just a, some nice stalls under the arches and so on. How on earth do you get a job like that? What were you doing before? Were you running Portobello Market, Nine Elms? <laughs> I'm actually the clerk to the trustees. That's my official title. So, so many people don't know Borough Market's a charity, but but we're uh, we're you know what you'd call an ancient landowning trust. I worked to pieces of legislation that that uh, well, there's one of the more modern ones from 1756, uh, which gives me great powers. Uh, if you're a, a vagabond, a miscreant, or a vagrant, um, I can arrest you, um, and I have. A, a police force called the Beedales, and we have two working cells under the Three Crown Square, which is um, where all the umbrellas are. And yeah, we have great fun with those sorts of things. So it, it's a it's a bit of a quirky job, is the is the is the uh, the best way I could describe it. Now, any seasoned observer of the food scene knows that Borough Market is often the instigator of trends. It's it's where young food entrepreneurs can ply their trade before they might sort of move on and get bricks and mortar sites. How difficult is it to get uh, a stall these days. Is it like joining some, uh, you know, closed fraternity, or can I just knock on your door and and beg? How do you how do you get a space in the market? You can try begging if you want, but it won't do you any good. No, there's a there's a there's a very um, uh, a thorough process um, because we have um, a, a real. Um, expectation from businesses that they will deliver those standards of quality those standards of environmental sustainability those ethical standards and and the the sort of the unique nature of, of what we're looking for which is often the traditional bought into a modern guise or um, the traditions in different nations brought together to create a, a product or just simply the the best of what every food can be so um, there is a process uh, people apply um, uh, and we ask them a whole series of questions around those criteria. Ultimately, um, the food uh, goes to an independent taste panel, uh, and that taste panel has chefs uh, drawn from restaurants that have normally got at least one Michelin star, and those people taste the food and tell me whether it's any good or not. Um, and, yeah, we've um, had quite a few uh, uh, almost household names go through the process and um, not necessarily get through. Um, so we set very, very, very high standards. Um, and so everything that you find in Borough Market has been through that process uh, to ensure that the quality is absolutely the best of what it can be. And do, do people have to sign up for a number of years? What's the deal? So we, you can go for anything. From We have day licenses. So uh, on seasonal products, um, so to come Christmas, uh, we'll have uh, cob nuts, um, Christmas puddings and, and uh, mince pies that are on a very short-term license. Um, through to people that have been here for 20 
22 years. Um, so places, you know, like Northfield Farm, the Ginger Pig, of course, Turnips. Uh, Fred's, Fred was one of the founding fathers, along with Randolph and Monica. Um, and those people have been here for a long time. And then what we have is a mixture of people that have, have been here for a shorter period of time, often because uh, they've got a very innovative product, either because of its ethical values or because of just it's a, you know, it's something new uh, coming onto the scene. And those people, often they will stay for a long time, but sometimes they don't. Um, and they become very successful elsewhere. And we're very pleased for them when they do. Yeah, well, that's great to see there's that flexibility. Now, one of the big stories of 2020 has been how restaurants and, and other food brands have pivoted doing national um, deliveries. Um, you yourself have been pivoting. Borough Market Online is something that's growing. But I'm intrigued about your digital presence because I always would have thought that the whole point of a market is to be there in the flesh. What's the what's the idea behind Borough Market Online? Well, um, people access good food in lots of different ways, and of course, coming into the market, experiencing, you know, the atmosphere and the the bit of banter with the trader and all that sort of stuff is is absolutely key to it. But also, you can reproduce that online. And 2020 has been a bit testing for people coming in. We know that there's been many people uh, that have been very loyal customers over the years that have been quite nervous about coming in because, let's face it, Borough gets quite busy sometimes. And what we wanted to do is to create opportunities for them to get involved, um, both in in the enjoyment of the space uh, and the enjoyment of what we stand for. So we've got a whole program of uh, digital uh, sort of online things. Uh, so cook-alongs, uh, talking to chefs, talking to new people um, in the food scene and, and getting their views. Um, and that whole atmosphere of, of sharing, uh, which is so much about what Borough Market's about. But also, we want people to get their hands on the stuff. Um, so we use Borough Market online for that and people can go on to um, onto our website and click through on the link and access the best stuff that Borough Market has got to offer um, completely nationwide now. So we bring it all together in one, one delivery and send it off to you. And you've got a Facebook page. You're broadcasting um, some of the festive kitchen uh, Christmas celebrations on, on Facebook. Um, Christmas is upon us. Darren, what's Borough Market got in store? So we've got a whole programme available online. Um, we've got uh, three weeks worth of programming uh, spread over over nine days, bringing in chefs and uh, people with lots of opinions on the in the food world uh, over what I think is going to turn out to be a pretty fun event. Um, we've also got the ability for you guys to come and buy your ingredients from us as a sort of cook-along kit so that uh, you can then watch the chef and cook with the chef um, using the ingredients that you get from Borough Market at the same time. So um, a whole series of, of, of things that people can get involved in uh, and have a bit of fun. This Christmas, William, we all need a bit of fun um, in a COVID-secure or as COVID-secure ways as you can. Uh, and hopefully this is going to bring a little bit of that Christmas magic to, to people in their homes. Great. Well, I, I wish you all the best. Um, Darren, it's absolutely fantastic to talk to you. And um, I'm, I'm sure we've whetted people's appetites to either look digitally or uh, get down to the market when they can and when it's safe to do so. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on this special edition of Bite and Talk. Thank you. Well, my next guest is a man after my own heart. As a writer of narrative food history myself, 
I've really enjoyed looking through his latest book, Barra Market Edible Histories, Epic Tales of Everyday Ingredients. A lot of the sources that I've used, not the sources you ooze, the, uh, the literary sources are those that I have come across in some of my writings. Things like The Form of Curie, books by Hannah Glass. Anyway, all of these uh, original documents are the basis for his wonderful book, which looks at all the ingredients that uh, you can find and the history of those ingredients at Barra Market. And we're going to talk about that and a bit of the history about Barra Market with my next guest. And it's Mark Ridaway. Mark, a warm welcome to Biting Talk. Hello. Thank you very much. So I really enjoyed reading and, and seeing books like uh, references to, you know, the some of these ancient tomes, the Book of Curie and some of Hannah Glass's original writings and The Complete Housewife from Eliza Smith in the 18th century and all these wonderful things that I've had such fun delving into. Where did you sit down and write this book? Did you did you do what I did, which is to go into the British Library and heave your way through some big and some very small old manuscripts and books? I did indeed, yes. I spent a lot of time in the British Library, which is just the most incredible place on earth, I think. Um, just uh, yeah, having having access to every single book ever ever uh, written in in this country that's still uh, available is just such a such a pleasure um so yeah spent a lot of time there it is something very magical when you can actually hold one of these ancient books whether it is the the form of curie or whether it is uh, ancient manuscripts because they really come alive don't they and they become real uh, you know, a- actual genuine things, and you can almost feel the passions and and the thinkings of the people who have written it. Yeah, very much so. Um, it, it can be quite challenging because sometimes the the uh, depending on how old the the work you're 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 looking at is, the um, the language can be quite impenetrable. Um, but there's, that means that there's a kind of um, uh, a process of trying to kind of unweave what they're saying. And uh, that in itself is, uh, is, is pretty fun. I'll give you a tip, actually, something I discovered, because I was really finding it hard to understand some of the ancient English. And I found that if I read out the ancient English script aloud in quite a sort of fey aristocratic voice, <laughs> it started to make sense. So there's a tip. Now, listen, before we talk about your book, let's speak a bit more about Borough Market. Um, the back of your book answers the first of my questions, which is, when was it established? 1756. But if we were there in the middle of the 18th century, walking around Borough Market in the early days, what would it have been like? Well, that's a very good question. So so I think the really interesting thing about Borough Market is its history actually goes back far further than that, maybe maybe about a thousand years. Like there's 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 been a market um at the end of London Bridge for as long as London Bridge has been there. Um, for several hundred years of its of its original history, it was um, it was out on the high street, um, and it was a fairly informal market. Um, and it, it became so chaotic that Parliament closed it down, um, and it was forced to move to, to to the location it's at now, just just off uh, the high street. Uh, but when it moved there, it, it was uh, it was the local community uh, who were kind of outraged by Parliament closing their main source of food. Um, who took responsibility for recreating and then managing the market. So it was very much a, a, a market of and for the people of Southwark. Um, and in those very early uh, days, it was in the 18th century, it would have been mainly a retail market like we see 
like we see now, uh, with farmers would have come up from uh, from Kent and Sussex to sell their wares. Um, there would have been bread, there would have been uh, fish, much as you'd see now at Borough Market. But then, um, as time went by, when the, when the railway arrived, um, and as London grew, it kind of transformed into a into a wholesale operation. Um, and by the 20th century, beginning of the 20th century, it was one of the largest fruit and veg wholesale markets serving South London. Right. So it's sort of gone back to its original origins in that it's it's now serving the smaller single consumer. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, it's it's interesting how it's how it's evolved in that way. Um, and and for a period um, at the back end of the twentieth century, um, it looked when it was still a wholesale market, it looked like it might be dying as wholesale markets became less and less relevant to our food system. Uh, with supermarkets increasingly dominant, borough market was kind of dying. But then in the late nineties, as part of a kind of the the, the very earliest days of the um, of the of a kind of re enlightenment of small scale British food production, um, some pioneering producers began appearing in the in the kind of crumbling dying warehouses around the market and a retail market began to spring out of that in uh, in sort of 1998 1999 and that's what's uh, since evolved into the very special place we see now okay now let's delve into this wonderful book um it is a it's a wonderful collection of essays and you take the various ingredients that's you can get in Borough Market and then you use that to, to write a sort of wonderful narrative history full of fantastic detail and stories and little quirky things. Um, it is uh, one of the series of uh, Hodder and Staunton's edible histories and it is a very, very edible history. A question that I expect you get asked a lot, how did you allow your mind to go down various avenues? Because if you think about turkey uh, or you think about coffee, did you have to be tr- quite strict to stop your pen from just flowing into thousands of words oh it was it was incredibly hard um yeah with e- with each of these uh, with each of these ingredients some of them are so commonplace and so widely dispersed around the world um, that you could write, and people have written entire books um, on each of them. But uh, yeah, I had to I had to try and force myself into into making the the, the narrative as kind of linear and coherent as possible in each case. Um, but it did mean that a huge amount of genuine uh, gold was uh, was was left um, left at the side. Yes, volume two, perhaps. And if you take a, a friend round the market for the first time, what's the thing that makes them really light up their their eyes? Is it the, the smells? Is it the sound of the railway? Is it the arches? What 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 is it that uh, you you find that your friends become obsessed about when they first see it? I think it's just a combination of all of that, isn't it? It's it's a it's a sensory overload, uh, and it's something that we. Um, yeah, food shopping now in most contexts is such an anodyne experience. It's been it's been leached of all kind of life and interaction. Um, but when you arrive in the market, there's that smell and the sound and the and just the the the, the people, the, the the conversations that um, occur every time you want to buy anything. Um, it, I think it's it, it, like all all of that is fundamental to the pleasure of shopping there, um, and you just can't replicate it in any other setting, really. Well, those sights and sounds and those smells that you talk about there, Mark, are certainly oozing out of every page in your book. Uh, Borough Market, Edible Histories, Epic Tales of Everyday Ingredients by Mark Ridaway is published now by Hodder and Stoughton. Mark, thank you very much. No, my pleasure. Thank you very much. 
Well, if you're enjoying this special edition of Biting Talk, I know that everyone is itching to get out and support local food and drinks businesses. So I'm delighted to tell you that I've teamed up with an app, Biddy Guides, who we are working with on this special edition, to create an audio tour of Borough Market. The experience lasts 45 minutes or so. It's quite similar to actually Biting Talk conversations. Um, we talk about the market's history, the UK's food culture more broadly, and we dive into some of Borough's most exciting stories through its iconic vendors, and we explore how the market has successfully dealt with COVID. It's a great way of discovering Borough Market independently, learning a bit more about its history and vendors, and most importantly of all, it's a way to get out there and support your local businesses. And the self-guided tour concept is super smart and easy to use. So you just download the tour to your phone, plug in your headphones and let the on-screen map and voices guide you. Head over to the show notes or download the Vidi Guides app to discover it for yourself. Well, my next guest on this special edition of Biting Talk, all about Borough Market, is a woman who knows a lot about that very unique part of London. Uh, she is Rachel de Samples. She is a food writer and author, and she's co-authored two books on Borough Market itself. So I'm very delighted to welcome her to Biting Talk. Hello, Rachel. Hello. Now, what drew you to Borough Market, first of all? Because there's, there are people who sometimes disparage the idea of Borough Market. They think it's a sort of commercial tourist trap. You're someone who obsesses about food, and I've known you for a while. I remember arguing with you about the merits of tea bags, which you just say is dust collected on the floor of places like Darjeeling. So exactly. <laughs> I remember these <laughs> you remember it. So listen, nice. as someone who is an obsessive uh, about food, tell me about your passion for Borough Market and where it came from. Yeah, well, I used to work on Blackfriars Bridge Road years ago, uh, probably 20 years ago. So Borough Market was um, quite different, but I haven't actually um, shied away from it since it has evolved. Um, some people do think it's more commercial, but I think it's always kept its core of being um, both the market for for the locals and for tourists. And I do know people. And when I did the books, I interviewed people who shop there for the, you wouldn't buy your entire weekly shop there um, <laughs> unless you wanted to slightly bankrupt yourself. But, um, but you can, you know, you can go and buy produce and basic cooking ingredients. And um, so I think it's always tried to, you know, have a mix of catering for people who just pop in for some street food and also, you know, people who do want to go and buy ingredients to cook and, and to be exposed to the best ingredients and buy them directly from the farmers and you know the farmers still are selling direct like Ted's Veg as, as one of my favorite um, suppliers at the market in Chegworth Valley Farm so you can still buy direct um, from from the suppliers you know which obviously you can't do in you know in the supermarkets and even you know some most farm shops yeah so I'm interested you say it evolved in those your early days of, uh, of visiting 20 years ago in the early 2000s, can you remember what it was that enticed you there? Was it the burgeoning coffee industry that was going on there? Was it Iqbal Wahib's um, restaurant? Was there a particular stall that you remember? Can you remember the senses and the smells that first lured you in through the gates? I can, absolutely. And the, and they're the two places I still go to um, regularly. First is Monmouth Coffee. So yes, definitely coffee was a massive draw to the area and also Brindisa. So it's been a staple and now they have a restaurant, um, which they didn't at the time, but it was, um, yeah, their um, sort of lunchtime um, Torito sort of rolls with rocket 
um, and red peppers, the Pequillo peppers, um, that was what brought me there um, most days for lunch. So I don't think it was open every day back then, but I think we would go on a Thursday or Friday and also a bit of um, free grazing because <laughs> trying all the samples. I was a, I was younger and poor then. And um, so, yeah, we'd kind of, you know, top up our, our um, lunch with, you know, samples of cheese and chocolates and pastries from the other stalls. So it was like a sort of, you know, little um, smorgasbord that you can um, tap into. Um, I think it's always been one of those sort of um, trendsetters for the London food scene as well. So it, it was good as I started to write about food to go there and just to, you know, get a grasp on what's new and what's happening and what farmers are doing differently as well. Yes, that's interesting, I suppose, because in those years before street food uh, started to take off in London, um, you know, around the King's Cross area. Absolutely, um, they were at the it, forefront of street. Yeah, food, it was Borough Market sure. that was. Yeah, Bar Market was at the forefront of that, and I and and you know that innovation and that excitement is still very much prescient and still very much in evidence there now. Um, if you were trying to introduce uh, a newbie foodie to Borough Market, or or a tourist, or just a friend. Um, where would your senses and your smells be leading you? Would you still start with with a cup of coffee? Where, where would. would you take? Where would you uh, take me? Well, definitely for a coffee. I remember the first time you made me coffee, it was instant coffee. <laughs> so I'd definitely <laughs> take you to Monmouth for a coffee and a Sally Clark. I've changed. I've changed, Rachel. <laughs> I've changed. I'm I promise glad. you. I'm glad. Um, but yeah, I would, I would go for a Monmouth coffee and um, Sally Clark truffle. Um, and then I would go, I mean, they've, they, it's amazing now they have this huge, um, it's in the green market area behind where, um, where Monmouth coffee is, but there's a massive food court and there are some fantastic stalls. There's an amazing Mexican stall at the moment. There's a really beautiful Lebanese stall. Um, you can get, I mean, you can taste the world basically. Um, and I think for lunch, it's one of my favorite options and actually it's really affordable. I'm um, going for lunch. You can definitely eat really well for, you know, around 10 pounds and really healthy as well so it's not just you know fried and you know you can eat really beautiful salads and lots of sort of fresh things and actually um now in the evenings turnips the veg stall that's been there for years and years um they have a restaurant in the market so they just have tables amongst the the stalls of you know of globe artichokes and and amalfi lemons and you can sit there and eat the produce um in its context, you know, surrounded by all the raw ingredients, which I think is, you know, really a completely magical setting. Yes. Now let's talk about these uh, cookbooks that you've authored. Was that ingredients driven? Was it literally derived from all of the ingredients you can get in Borough Market, or, or how was the uh, how was the book formulate formulated? Well, so there are two of them, and one the first one was called From Roots to Renaissance, so it was the history of Borough Market. And I had I had such a great role in that book because so there were lots of people who um, contributed to the book. Henrietta Green, who was really she sort of revamped Borough Market. So that's when I started going to it, when she had sort of got um, hold of it and sort of brought it back to life because, it you know, people have been trading there for hundreds of years. But um, so Henrietta Green was part of it. Sheila Dillon was also involved in the um, in the book. But I got to my job was to go around and interview all the stallholders that had been there for years since Henrietta had had set it up. And um, so I got to spend, you know, a few hours with um I think I did 20 stallholders 
Um, and then I wrote sort of tips. I gleaned their sort of food tips from them as well. So that really gave me deep roots um, to the place. And I'd been going there for 10 years before I, I was involved in that book. And But I didn't really know the stallholders as I did um, after interviewing them, people like Peter Gott and um you know, the cheesemakers and the sort of, you know, people, um, beekeepers who brought their honey in. So it was really nice to get to um, know them. And even the guy who had a barber in the Empire Market, I interviewed him and just got, you know, his stories because obviously a lot of the traders would come to him. And so getting all the sort of all the gossip um, was, yeah, really fun. And then the second book was called Meat and Fish. So it was very much uh, framed on the produce. So some, you know, recipes featuring the, the meat and fish and going into the stories of, um, you know, how, you know, wild beef, how they rear their meat and why it's different and, you know, how the fish is different from shell seekers and, and the other stores. Yeah. Now, a little bird tells me that you're moving to Dorset, that great foodie hub down in the uh, down in the southwest. But tell me, um, you're going to miss Borough Market. Um, what will you miss most about it? And on your new, possibly rarer trips to London, what's the one thing that you'll you'll you know, make a beeline for when you're in London and you dash to bar market? Um, oh, that's a really good question. Well, I would say shell seekers, but I have um, access to really good fish here. So um, uh, that probably won't be the first one. Um, Monmouth is has always been my favourite place. One of my best friends lives in Australia. And every time she comes to London, we, we spend all of our time outside of Monmouth Coffee. Um, so that would definitely be. Um, but I also really like the... Um, I think it's tea for you, the Darjeeling tea traders in Bar Market as well. And uh, Beatles wine is always a favourite as well. And good that you mentioned the Darjeeling tea traders, because it takes me back to the first part of our chat when I remember you disparaging the dust that goes into tea bags. So if anyone <laughs> uses a tea bag, uh, I think they'll get a lesson in uh, how to actually drink tea if they go there. Uh, Rachel DeThample, it's absolutely wonderful to catch up with you. Thank you for reminiscing and for brightening up our taste buds in anticipation of another trip to the market. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. Well, my next guest on this special edition of Biting Talk, all about Borough Market, is Matthew Jones, the founder the wonderful company Bread Ahead. Matthew, welcome to Biting Talk. Hello, William. Thank you for um, bringing me on. Now, I want to know about your your life in Borough Market, but for people who might not know as much as I do about you, give us a little bit of detail about how you came to open Bread Ahead. Okay, so um, yeah, so food's always been very present in my life from a young age. I was, you know, I was that sort of the kid in the kitchen, I just couldn't leave it alone. So, you know, I have a mum who's who's a real foodie to this day. Um, so I always had my fingers in the pie, so to speak. You know, even from when I was seven years old, I'd be making flapjack and rock cakes. Um, I left school at 15. I did a youth training scheme as a chef. And I've always been very close to food throughout my entire working life. So then my transition into being a baker, I sort of first became a pastry chef, then a baker. So in back in uh, 1999, was actually when I did my first bakery business, I had that for 12 years. And then I left that, um, I sold it. Um, and then I opened Bread Ahead in Borough Market in 2013. And of all the markets across Britain, what was it about Borough Market that attracted you? Was it the, was it the Iron Arches? Was it the history of the place? Uh, the tourists was it was it fellow traders? What drew you in there? 
It was really the fellow traders and the food, the food scene. So Borough is really, I think, you know, a pretty unique setup. It's got, you know, places like Neil's Yard Dairy and Monmouth and Turnips and Furnace Fish. So it's, you know, it's a real hub of foodies. Um, I also live around the corner from Borough. Um, so, you know, I'm surrounded by food all the time, which for me is a dream. Yeah. And when you started, was it quite small then? Were you doing just, you know, a variety of small loaves? Did you start with a stall or did you go big with a shop? How did it begin? Um, well, it's funny because, yeah, the, the early days of Bread Ahead, so we started with the market stall and that's always been very strong. It's always been a really solid bit of business. And our intention in the beginning was we'd do local wholesale and then the educational side of the business. The idea was to, to, to teach two groups of 12 people, so 24 people a week. Um, and then when we were full up, we were done. And I would sort of have a relatively calm life. Um, however, that's really changed um, <laughs> a lot. And of course, I suppose you know one of the interesting interesting things is that over the years, as as Britain's become a bit more foodie in various parts, and there's been this craze for baking and sourdough and so on, we're still seeing obviously the original bad boy breads appearing in supermarkets and so on. Does that pain you when you see the Chorleywood? bread process that that speeded up post-war process that introduced quick mixing and you know fast yeasts when you see that does it pain you or do you just get on with what you're doing i think i just have to leave it alone really you know it's it's a very different thing it's a bit like comparing instant coffee with a um you know a barista coffee you know and it's and our customers they get it you know so i think the most important job that we have is actually converting people to eating artisan bread. And that's something that, you know, the school plays a really important function in doing that. Once people get it and once people start eating proper crusty sourdough, they'll never go back. Mm. Yeah, that's certainly true. And it is a it is a completely different species, isn't it? I mean, you, you really can't can't compare. Um, as a teacher, what stimulates you the most? Is it the, the fact that you find that occasionally you can change lives? You know, certainly speaking to the legend that Richard Bertinet, he knows that the influence he's had on some people's lives. Is that the, the biggest appeal, that people come in looking fresh-faced and go away with a skill that, I don't know, could, could fill a hole in their lives and, and be with them forever? Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, you've really hit it on the head there because, I mean, I'm, I'm not the world's most patient person, um, but I do get immense satisfaction from seeing people develop a skill. Um, especially more recently, last couple of years, I've found that, when you take on a room of 12 people and at the beginning or on Zoom even, you know, at the beginning of the course, you can see they're all a little bit lost and they don't quite understand what's going on. And by the end of that course, you've just got them. They're transfixed. You know, they're at, they fall in love with it. And it's a – and as you touched on really, I think baking is something that can really be a pillar in your life. For me it is. You know, it's something I, I just do in the background. While I, you know, and it keeps me busy. It, it gives me immense satisfaction to see – beautiful things coming out of the oven so it's a it is almost a therapy yes i've i know i've spoken to people who've been on bread making courses and they they talk about the fact that their their life at work in the office is really the moments in between going back and you know, nurturing the mother the mother dough and as you say it's a pillar in your life but it's you know it, it's really something that um i don't know can kind of bookend your day really Totally. And I think it's really interesting what we found during lockdown, how people just gravitated towards our Instagram live baking shows. Um, and it was something about that that was really sort of 
primeval, you know, like a couple of thousand years ago, people would have gathered around a fire, you know, and and now I think we gather around Instagram. <laughs> but baking has become this sort of magnetic thing, the society they need and they love. Yes, you've been doing your IGTV shows six six PM, I think, is a, a, on a Wednesday or a Tuesday. Um, um, every day now, every day, Monday to Friday, every yeah, day. We'd... And this is for, this is a gift, of course. It's free of charge. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I think it's we do. It's a combination, really, because on one hand, I I enjoy you know I do these sort of short half an hour IG IG lives, which are a mixture of all sorts of things, making rock rock cakes and queen of puddings and spotted dick and some lovely things. And then we also sort of talk about the Zoom courses, which is a, a much more in depth. They're two to three hours, and they're you know next level up. Yes. Now. Let's talk a bit about Borough Market, where you're the original home for Bread Ahead. Has it changed much um, in the seven years since you've been there, or you know, are there traders that you miss? Um, I mean, it, it it's funny because you know Borough is such an institution, and okay, it has changed a bit, but essentially, you know, there's something in the ground. There's some. There's a magic in the land in that place that goes back thousands of years. You know, so. I don't know quite what it is with Borough, but it has this ability just to bounce back. You know, it just, and I've seen it long enough now. I've been trading even before Bread Ahead, I was trading there. Um, but it has this ability just to keep giving, you know, and it's sort of, you know, we've had horrendous things down there from terror attacks to, and it just bounces back. It just takes it. Um, I think it's just, a, you know, it has so many features to it that make it so unique with the railway arches and the you know location and the Thames and the cathedral and it's it's just an amazing location. Yes. And um as a baker, are you there in the half light or before dawn or have you grown up sufficiently that you can pass that on to <laughs> a new generation of, of bleary eyed bakers? I'm I'm still very much at the coal face every day. Um I get in there usually at five in the morning. I, I'm in production every day, and I absolutely love it. I wouldn't want it any other way. And so there must be times of the year that you rather love. Um, I mean, do you love it in midwinter at 5 a.m., or do you find that depressing, or is there a magic about it, and, or are you constantly craving for the, the clots to go back and for a bit of warmth on your back when you emerge? Um, uh, you know? No, not really. It's I just I, I enjoy the process. For me, you know, I, I usually I try to do three or four hours a day in production in the bakery. And I just find it grounds me. I'm a very energetic soul. So I, I just find there's something about the baking process that, that's really grounding. So if I can do, you know, three, four hours in the day, and then I can go and do my sort of, I suppose I would call my proper job, you know, sort of. Um, Run, running, your, running, your business, running your business. Yeah, we yeah. have 100 staff, you yes. know, I still do my own payroll. It's, you know, very hands-on. And if someone had in their mind the idea of a career in, in baking, what would you say the pitfalls were? What are the what are the wonderful p- parts of the job? Um, it is it's physically very demanding. So you need to be nimble. You need to be quick on your feet. You need to be a quick thinker. Um, it's all about problem solving. It's um, you know bakery. It, it, when you watch it from the outside, it appears incredibly simple. But then when people try and do it, especially on a bigger scale, they realise just how complex it is. Um, it's a real commitment. You know, it's like looking after a newborn baby, probably similar to being a farmer. You know, you just cannot leave it alone. It will need your constant nurturing and attention. Mm. And you mentioned the physicality there. 
how do you stand up for so many hours? I mean, I'd be exhausted. I'm sat at a desk most of the day, sort of hunched. Do you do you tell people how to stand, their posture, their core, how to place their feet? Because that must be quite important when you're working the dough, um, you know, for hours on end. Yeah, I mean, it is demanding. It is, you know, you're on your feet for 12 hours a day for sure. Um, you know, the, the only time I sit down is when I usually sit on a tube. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> You know, I don't, sitting is just not a thing I do. It's funny, actually, yeah. Um, I go to see a chiropractor once a week, um, yeah, but I think it's just being, and being sensible, you know, you've got to learn to pace yourself. Well, it's been fantastic to chat with you, Matthew. Thank you very much for coming mm, on the special yeah. edition of Biting Talk. If yeah. there was one loaf you had to take to your desert island, what would it be? Almost certainly 100% rye sourdough. Great. All right, Matthew, thanks very much. Thank you, William. Well, that's it for this special edition of Biting Talk. My thanks to all my guests, to Darren Hennon, to Mark Ridaway, to Rachel DeThample, to Matthew Jones and to Guides. We'll see you again soon on Biting Talk. 